And welcome to another edition of Battleground Florida. I'm Christopher Heath coming to you from the WFTV Parish Medical Center podcast studio. Today, our guest is Democrat Orlando Representative Carlos Guillermo Smith. All right, Carlos, uh, welcome to Battleground Florida. Let me ask you this. You are now coming off of your another legislative term. How did you get into politics? Well, thank you for having me, Chris. Uh, it's great to be here in Orlando. Uh, great to finish our third legislative session, at least as a state lawmaker. Um, I I guess comparatively speaking, I've not been doing this as long as a lot of other people have or as long as some people think I have. Uh, even though I was elected in 2016, I managed a men's warehouse store for eight years. That's a lot like the legislature. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of, a lot of right. suits, some of them empty. Right, exactly. I uh, don't think that politics was always something that I wanted to be involved in. But in 2008, when... Uh, then Senator Barack Obama was uh, elected president of the United States. I was really energized and excited because what I wanted to do was I wanted to help President Obama uh, implement his progressive agenda, particularly around health care and around civil rights. But I didn't know how to do it as a manager for the men's warehouse. That's not a conversation you have as you're, you know, checking out somebody's waist circumference. You're like, you know, have you ever thought about uh, expanding civil rights? <laughs> exactly. It just, it was not giving me the room that I needed to grow uh, if I wanted to do something in politics, but I didn't even know what I wanted to do if that was the case. I just knew that I wanted to be a part of it. So um, I started volunteering for every, uh, not-for-profit organization that was politically minded or engaged in the grassroots uh, organizations like the Human Rights Campaign, Equality Florida. I volunteered for Organizing for America, which was what President Obama converted his campaign into his grassroots policy advocacy nationwide network. Um, and before long, after volunteering for so many organizations and just spending my time in the grassroots, um, folks just started to know me as an organizer and as an activist. And I was hired in 2011 by then state representative Scott Randolph, who is now our tax collector for Orange County, uh, to be his legislative assistant in the Florida House of Representatives. And so that's the first time I met really you, you started. were working for Joe Saunders. Correct. That's right. Um, I transitioned from former representative Randolph's office over to representative Saunders office and, uh, and I worked as an aide for four or five years uh, until I got elected. And even that was not part of the plan. I ran for office because uh, the seat was open to be uh, flipped by a Democrat uh, because it was occupied by a Republican lawmaker. And I got upset uh, because I was in Tallahassee as an advocate for Equality Florida when a transgender bathroom bill was making its way through the Florida House uh, that criminalized uh, transgender persons from being able to use public restrooms. And I realized in that moment, it was kind of like I had an aha moment where the light bulb went on, where I realized, you know what, I can be a much better advocate for all of the issues that I care for, whether they be civil rights, health care, cannabis reform, gun control, um, not as an advocate but I could be uh, more effective as a member of the Florida House, and that's when I decided to run. Being a LBGDQ member, um, listen, there was a time in politics, and it's not that long ago where that was just not something that was discussed. It was whispered about that, oh, this person, that person. Now you're out in the open. 
And it's not even an issue in the Florida legislature. It's such an afterthought. Did you ever think we'd get to this point in our politics that it's not even something that's talked about now? Well, the reality is, is that representation matters. Uh, I remember not too long ago when I was in the closet myself, that's when I was in high school, my first year when I was in college, uh, and my experience as a gay man is uh, an experience that actually a lot of people go through, an experience of marginalization, but also uh, I survived hate violence, uh, anti, anti-gay hate violence at UCF, and when that happened to me when I was only 22 years old, I thought to myself, because I had only been out for about a year, a year and a half when I survived that anti-gay attack, I thought to myself, is this going to be what my entire adult life is as an out gay man, someone who is a target for violence uh, that I constantly have to be looking over my shoulder, um, worried about being in public places? And it kind of sent this this message um, that... Uh, that if I can't change who I am, then I should hide who I am. Uh, and if I uh, can't hide who I am, then whatever happens to me, I deserve it. That's a message that a lot of LGBT people uh, get, not only in their in their youth, but in their in their later years as well. I'm glad that it's not as big as of an issue, but don't be mistaken. Uh, the Florida legislature still needs to be educated about what the experience is to be an LGBTQ Floridian. They still need to take action. Uh, to uh, make sure that we're not discriminated against in employment and housing and public accommodations. And when I said representation matters, my mere existence in the Florida legislature as an out LGBTQ lawmaker helps move the move progress in our direction because it allows me to establish relationships sometimes with members of the Republican Party who have a history of supporting anti-LGBTQ legislation. It helps them, I guess, humanize our issues in their eyes uh, because it's not just, you know, some unknown person out there that they're fighting against, but it is a colleague that is sitting next to them in committees and on the House floor. And that can make a difference, It's a lot harder to say... I'm, I'm, you know, I'm against this when you can say, no, I can't be against this. I, I, I'm friends with Carlos. He's a decent guy. He's in the other party or, you know, he's in my party. And, and that's right. Uh, you know, it puts a face on it. And, and but I, I, I want to get to that idea because it is kind of a sea change, so to speak, the fact that it is out in the open now and it's not something that has to be marginalized to the shadows within the legislature that you you can be that advocate out there and it doesn't have to be something you run and hide from because there was a time and not that long ago when politicians if if they were part of the LBGT community they kept it they secret they were closeted they that's kept right it very secret mhm well and that's just what happens when um when people are repressed uh, from being able to be their open and authentic selves. They live double lives. They are less productive at work. Um, they're dishonest with the people that they care about the most. Uh, and so I'm, I'm glad that we live in a world in 2019 where more and more people feel comfortable uh, coming out. Um, but the reality is, is that's, that's sometimes uh, a luxury uh, and a privilege, and not every person 
not every person uh, can have that experience, even in many places in Florida and around the United States. Do you ever think we'd actually have a person running for president right now who is, I mean, Pete Buttigieg, he has a legitimate chance he's to a be top the nominee tier, Yeah, he's a, a top-tier candidate. He's a top-tier candidate, and a majority of Americans that have been polled have said that they would not— um, they would not not vote for a candidate for president if they were openly LGBTQ, which is incredible. Uh, his his candidacy and his campaign um, is historic, even without him getting the nomination, if he doesn't secure the nomination. I got a call, actually, from his husband, Chastin Buttigieg, uh, about 10 days ago, uh, and he was calling to to say hello, but also to congratulate my fiance Jarek and I on obtaining our marriage license. Even are you guys are yeah, you're yet. engaged to be married. You you have you have you filled out the <laughs> registry yet? Uh, how's that going? Yeah, yeah. Well, um, I'm, I have a salad spinner that is in my garage with your name on it. <laughs> well, thank you for that, Chris. Well, the reality is is that we're going to be really obnoxious about this wedding because it's uh, it's a part one and oh, a part two. Oh, you, uh, you are the worst. Yeah, <laughs> we're having a destination wedding actually in Puerto Rico. That's uh, where my fiance is from. All of his family lives there. Uh, but also we wanted to have something here in Orlando for those who you couldn't travel to the island. You wanted sets of gifts. Don't sit here and lie to me about this. <laughs> so, so here we are and it's going to be a wonderful day and I'm really, really, well, wonderful days. And <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. I, I am a very, very lucky man. That is, yeah, that's always the uh, the challenge of, of these things. I remember when my wife and I got married, geez, 11 years ago now, it was you're trying to plan all this stuff out. You're trying to get, you know, oh, so-and-so's coming in from here and so-and-so's coming in from here. And it is just when it's all said and done, it's like, ugh. You need a vacation. That's what that, that, that that's, there you have the honeymoon. That's right. That's right. Well, our uh, vacation will actually be me returning to Tallahassee for committees in September. Um, oh, so, <laughs> keeping so, the romance alive. That's right. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Um, but it will it will be great because then um, my fiance and then by then husband Jarek will be part of the first spouses club or in the spouses club rather in the Florida legislature, which is mostly run by Republican women. So it'll be really interesting to see how he um, how he mingles with the other uh, spouses in the Florida House of Representatives. That should be that should be interesting. And we have a we have a, a winter session coming up here. So this this that's will, right. All sorts of things that entails. winter is coming, my friend. So speaking of the legislature, um, you've gotten a lot of stuff passed for a Democrat. And, and I say that because Let's face facts. The entire time you've been in the legislature, it has been run by Republicans in the House and the Senate. And we had a Republican governor in Rick Scott. Now we have a Republican governor in Ron DeSantis. Mm -hmm. Yet you've still managed to get things across the finish line. Maybe not the big things that you want, but still getting legislative wins. That's important. It is important. And look, when you are in the minority party, uh, particularly if you're in a situation like House Democrats are in. We are 47 Democrats out of 120 members in the Florida House of Representatives. So we're substantially outnumbered. If you only base your success on how many bills you can send to the governor for signature and passage into law, then it's going to be really, really hard for you to be successful because that's the reality. Uh, Democrats have to work 20 times harder than Republican lawmakers do to get their bills 
heard, let alone passed. So we have to define on our own what it means to be successful and effective in the Florida legislature. Much of that has to do with how we are able to elevate the issues that we care about, not only in the legislature, but also in public dialogue, how we're able to secure perhaps funding for projects uh, in our districts, uh, member projects that we can uh, bring back, you know, kind of bringing back the bacon, so to speak. And that's been really important. That's things that I have done since I've been elected. I've helped fund the UCF PTSD clinic, UCF Restores for Veterans, uh, first responders and survivors of mass shootings uh, suffering from PTSD. We've delivered millions of dollars to that program and plan on bringing more back. Just in this legislative session, Heath, we were able to um, increase funding for arts and cultural matching grants from the state by uh, over 800%, which is really, really important, especially to Central Florida and Orlando, which we know um, our economy here locally is thriving based on arts, entertainment, and culture. Um, it, it's the lifeblood of our economy here in addition to tourism and it's part of the tourism economy. So that's really, really important. And these are, and, and of course, for the high profile issues, the gun control, the cannabis reform, immigration, um, civil rights, you know, a lot of times, most of the time we're on the losing side, the Democrats are, but we help elevate the issue uh, in our public discourse and help win even more and more residents and voters on our side. Uh, and and we become champions for these issues. And there's no way to measure that success. You work with a lot of Republicans up there, not just out of necessity, but also, I mean, I think a lot of people would be surprised to learn that, you know, we, we always view lawmaking as what we see in D.C., which is very much tribal. When you watch the Florida legislature, for the most part, you guys get along with each other. You may not be in lockstep with the Republicans on the other side of the aisle, but there's a lot up there that I I know for a fact. You guys work together, you get along, and you find common ground when you can. That's right. Well, what's interesting is people associate um, someone's uh, level of progressiveness or level of uh, conservatism uh, as as also meaning that they cannot work with someone from the other side of the aisle. That's not true. A lot of people uh, right, rightfully uh, perceive me as a very progressive member of the Florida legislature. Fact, that is true. I chair the, the Legislative Progressive Caucus. That does not mean that I cannot work with uh, my colleagues on the other side of the aisle. I actually adopt a style of politics from before my time, the Ronald Reagan, Tip O'Neill style of politics where you really fought it out um, during committees or, or on the floor or even in the press. But then when, uh, when time was up and session had adjourned, you meet up with that person uh, for dinner and drinks and you get to know their family and you spend time with them as a colleague and you put that stuff behind you. And the reason why I think that's really important is because personal relationships help you understand the other person's perspective and it humanizes their perspective to be something beyond just the normal partisan rhetoric and talking points that kind of dehumanizes both sides. It, it, it makes you understand that these are real people advocating for real reforms. 
you have to call them out when appropriate. But as my colleague, my Democratic colleague, Representative Eskamani, likes to say, you have to call them in before you call them out. You are now entering your fourth session up in Tallahassee. And uh, assuming you get reelected, there will be a fifth. What's it like to make that transition from being the young whippersnapper who's up there with his very first session, first time you get to vote? Uh, do you hand out any advice to, I'm guessing, Democrats would probably come to you and say, what should I do? Do you, do you, have you, have you moved into that role yet of, I don't want to say elder statesman, but <laughs> middle elder statesman? Well, I mean, I just came from an event where another lawmaker called me the, the senior representative. And I was By like, the way, okay, I did, I I did I tell am. Marco Rubio when I interviewed him, I said, do you refer to Rick Scott as the junior senator? And he laughed. He goes, no. And I go, because I would do that all the time. I don't care who you are. I would always introduce the other person if I was a U.S. senator as, well, this is the, the junior senator. And I, you know, right. because... There's only right. two. Either you're the senior or the junior. And um, I, yeah, I, that's that's probably for the best that I'm not that. But I mean, you, you get to now kind of give a little advice having been through a couple rodeos. Yeah, well, the reality is, is we have a large freshman class uh, of Democrats and Republicans in the Florida House of Representatives. Um, I have been helping to give them as much guidance as I possibly can, not just those in Central Florida, you know, people like Representative uh, Eskamani and Representative Joy uh, Goff Marsil, but also folks from South Florida who are part of the freshman class, people like uh, Cindy Polo, uh, who is also uh, a young whippersnapper who's a, who's a freshman. It's interesting because the advice that I give them is always to be their authentic selves and to speak out when it's most important on the issues that got you elected, regardless of whether speaking out means you're, there are going to be consequences or retaliation from the majority party. Because the reality is, is that when you come back, people will respect you. They will respect your consistency and they will also know, uh, I'll use myself as an example, because I've gone from, you know, I've been all over the spectrum as far as, you know, from zero to 10 on my level of intensity on, on advocating for particular issues and calling members out if they need to be called out. When I came back for my second term and then there were a lot of freshmen who were a lot like me and I actually started... Um, taking a, a bit of a different approach that was a little bit less aggressive, uh, people started working with me even more because they were like, oh, well, we know what Representative Smith is capable of doing as an advocate um, <laughs> and being one of, one of the, um, I guess, one of the loudest voices in the room. But also, we kind of like the fact that he's now working with us. It's kind of like the... The um the using the bully pulpit effectively, you know, if you if you use it effectively several times at first, at least then people know what your range of capabilities are, uh, so that they can be forewarned. How much has Tallahassee changed with the changing of the governor? We go from Rick Scott to Ron DeSantis. You had two sessions under Scott. You've had one under DeSantis. How much different has has Tallahassee been with a new governor? It's a, it's a little bit different um, because there's a new administration. But I want to be clear. Uh, Governor DeSantis gets a lot of praise. He's perceived as more moderate than Governor Scott. 
But you got to understand what we're comparing him to. I mean, comparing Governor DeSantis to Governor Scott, who was literally rock bottom, worst governor we've ever had. By the way, if you've not followed Carlos Guillermo Smith <laughs> on social media, he did does not, not like who, Rick Scott. Right, who did not represent the values of everyday Floridians, who sold us out on a number of issues to whoever the highest political donor was, who completely abandoned immigrant communities, completely abandoned Muslims, completely abandoned LGBT people, particularly after Pulse. We don't have anywhere to go but up when we have a new governor, whether that person be a Republican or a Democrat. So by comparison, I think that we're doing, we're moving in a, a slightly better direction. But Governor DeSantis has a lot of work to do. Uh, he's championing this so-called sanctuary city ban, which actually is extremely problematic for our state because, sure, there's no sanctuary cities in Florida, but that's just the headline. What the bill is really about is forcing local law enforcement to comply with unconstitutional ICE detainer requests. It forced every state department and every government entity or agency, uh, if requested by ICE, that they must share a person's documentation status if it is requested by ICE. Uh, this is going to result in more deportations. It's going to result in more distrust between communities and law enforcement. We have 775,000 undocumented people who live in the state of Florida. And the sole purpose of this legislation is to stir up a political base of voters for Donald Trump. It is to deliver some sort of... Um, xenophobic, politically driven victory for the president to be able to uh, come to Florida and say, look, this is this is this is what we're doing in it. And it whips up the base and drives them out uh, in his favor. We will change gears slightly here. Um, you were named 12th most powerful politician in central Florida. Peter Sorich in Florida politics, putting you at number 12. Um, pretty good. What are your plans to break into the top 10? <laughs> to break some into off-season <laughs> workouts, maybe looking at some tape, trying to trying to figure out some weaknesses of the... I mean, but I mean, number, tw number 12, considering you are three sessions in uh, and in the minority party up in Tallahassee, but yet the 12th most powerful politician in Central Florida, that's a pretty, pretty nice well, honor. Well, I'm, I'm flattered, and I appreciate the fact that these lists happen. Um, but the reality is, is that it's really about what the voters think. At the end of the day, if there's something, if there's a benefit that comes from being perceived as being powerful, being perceived as being influential, the benefit is you leverage people's perception uh, to advance what you want to get done for your constituents. That's the whole point of this. If people think I'm powerful, then that means that they think what I say has value and it has importance. So what does that mean for me? It means that I'm going to advocate for the issues that our community and my district cares for because people care about what we're saying. So I think that's good for constituents. Full disclosure, I got to vote in this list. And uh, Anna Escamani, by the way, she finished 11th. She's one ahead of you. How did that happen? <laughs> it happened because she is a, a fierce warrior, a queen, 
Uh, she is. She's a freshman. Yeah, Come on. she's a freshman. Hey, but but she's. But you know what? I'm really proud of Representative Eskimani, uh, and she's giving me a run for my money. I got to tell you, you know, it's like uh, you show up for a panel discussion with Representative Eskimani, even if you're on her side. You better be prepared because if not, you're gonna <laughs> you're gonna look like you don't know what you're talking about. She always comes uh, very very knowledgeable, very um, ready to really talk about the issues at hand and present solutions. And I'm proud of the work that she's doing. All right, Carlos Guillermo Smith, I do appreciate the time you're spending with us today, and uh, we will we'll do this again. Maybe we'll talk about the upcoming session when we get a little bit closer. And when you return from your not one but two wonderful wedding <laughs> events. Thank you for and, having and me, and Chris. And for anybody interested, you're registered at... <laughs> you're so alone. silly. Thank you very much. Thank you. I want to say a special thank you to Carlos Guillermo Smith for stopping by and to you for listening. If you enjoy this podcast, please leave a rating and a written review. We'll have more of them coming up. Thanks again for listening. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.